Welcome back to another episode of Food Biz Whiz. I am really excited for today's show as we are talking about succeeding in farmers markets and growing your business in 2020 with my favorite farmers market whiz, Kat Fields White the founder and CEO at Farmer's Market Pros. Even if you have zero desire to ever sell in a farmer's market, you are going to get a ton out of hearing Kat speak. I promise. So Kat is a former restaurant owner, marketing manager, and publisher who writes and speaks about food, farms, and business for regional and national publications and pre-COVID at conferences (laughs) and events worldwide. So I'm just, I'm just in awe of all the work that Kat does. You'll, you'll soon hear why she advocates for small farmers and markets as a steering committee member of the California Alliance of Farmers Markets. And she is a member of the National Farmers Market Coalition Leaders Forum. We're going to hear directly from Kat shortly. So keep on listening if you are a food or beverage business who has ever wondered, should I sell in farmers markets? or when should I stop selling in farmer's markets, or how the heck do I navigate the ups and downs of our shifting food landscape, farmer's market or not. Let's get to it. You're listening to Food Biz Whiz, the weekly podcast for everyone in the packaged food industry. Join your host, Allie Ball, to learn how to launch, grow, and scale your business. You'll hear real-life examples from her time as a professional grocery buyer, interviews with CPG experts, and listen in on actual client coaching sessions. Let's get going. This episode is sponsored by Retail Ready, my online course for emerging food brands who are looking to grow their wholesale business. I've been teaching Retail Ready for three years, and I've had over 150 brands enroll in the course. Through videos and workbooks and checklists and templates and live coaching calls with me, plus 24-7 access to me and my team in our private online group, Retail Ready has all the tools that you need to increase your sales through wholesale accounts, whether that's in traditional brick-and-mortar outlets or through e-commerce platforms. I'd love to see you join us when the course opens again. So jump on the wait list to be the first to know when I welcome new students. You can find that wait list in today's show notes or at foodbizwiz.com under the heading Retail Ready. Welcome, Kat. I'm excited to have you on the show today. Hi, Allie. It's great to be here. Nice to hear your voice again. I think you've been on our podcast a couple of times. We've seen you at the conference and you're right. We're not going to be bumping into each other at conferences anytime soon. <laughs> I know. So I gave a very brief background on you in the intro, but there's, what can I say? There's so much more to it. So I'm going to highlight a couple of other things and we're going to jump right into our conversation. So what I, what I didn't say is that in addition to being the founder and CEO of Farmers Market Pros, you're also the director of San Diego Markets, where you help develop and manage farmers markets in urban San Diego. And so like you just mentioned, that's that's how you and I first connected a couple years ago, right? At your annual event called Intense, the Farmers Market Conference. So for my listeners who aren't familiar with Intense, Intense is just one of the ways that Farmers Market Pros supports market managers, small farmers, and food makers. I mean, Kat, you guys do a ton to provide education and financial sustainability for your community of good food businesses. So finally, Kat, I'm going to say two more things. Like you, like you said, you are the co-host of Tent Talk, 
the Farmer's Market Podcast, where I was a guest, I think over a year ago. I'm going to link that in our show notes. And you are also a grandma to nine grandkids. So that's, I am. that's where I want to start. I know that your grandchildren <laughs> have played a role in your commitment to good food. So can you tell us about, uh, gosh, how do you manage having nine grandchildren and how does that, you know, how has that shifted your relationship with food? Well, I mean, the awesome thing about grandchildren is I don't have to do much. So <laughs> there's that. We just have fun. I give them back. It's all good. And we've got them now ranging from, I've got one that's 20. So how the oh heck old gosh. am I? Yeah, it's so crazy. <laughs> uh, but then the littlest one is four. Wow. And there's three of them that are down the street from me. Those are Bridget's kids. And um, you, you hear Bridget on our Farmer's Market yep. Pros podcast and at our conference and that kind of thing. Um, and then I've got three in California and I've got two in Alabama and one in Florida. So right now I'm not seeing the ones that are very yeah. far away. So that's kind of sad. But I, I will say that when I had kids and then maybe even more when I had grandkids, it became even clearer to me that we needed to be really careful about how we treated our food system. Mm-hmm. There's an old movie, um, called Soylent Green. I, you may be too young to remember this. But, I don't know this uh, movie. Soylent yeah, Green? Yeah, Soylent okay. Green. So it's kind of a dystopian movie. It's got Charlton <laughs> Heston in it. And um, the the world is hungry and they're they're looking for food sources and there's a twist yeah. at the end and, and all that. But, but one of the most powerful scenes in that is an older guy who's dying. And so you get a chance to relive the best moments of your mm. life right before you die. Sure, sure. And, he, <laughs> and his is, and they go on this whole quest to see if they can find him a strawberry before he dies because- <sighs> It's what he remembers from the way the world used to be. Oh. And, and in this you know, futuristic society, fresh food is not available except to the very wealthy or through you know, really complicated means. There's just not fresh food around. Everything is processed. It's in pill or goop or you know, that yeah. kind of form. Yeah. And, and you know, when you look at it, and you're, you're in the Bay Area, I think so, you know, the, <laughs> yep. whole, the whole goop thing. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, you look at how food shifts sometimes, uh, and there's still a huge appreciation for really good fresh food, but there are people that, you know, are okay with with squeezing it out of a a pack. And I just want to make sure that we all remember what real food tastes like and to do that and and keep it accessible to everybody. And there's no better place than a farmer's market to remember what a peach is really supposed to taste like or what a... a, tomato is really supposed to taste like that yes. not the ones that are bred for durability and shipping but the ones that are just coming right off the vine and they're all about taste yeah the ones that still have a little bit of dirt on them <laughs> that's exactly right yeah it's just so different yeah and so cat i think that that's a great place to start here because here we are recording like you know towards the end of summer 2020 and can you tell me like what what's the scene like at san diego farmers markets right now So we manage a a number of markets, but among those is the first one that I ever started. And I started just because I was living in a cool urban neighborhood and there were lots of restaurants, but there were no grocery stores available. Mm -hmm. So I started this little farmer's market that kind of struggled to to get its footing. But for some years now, it's been by far the largest in San Diego County. And I'm going to say it stretches over six blocks, but really that was only true until the second week of March. Um, It stretched, (laughs) it used to stretch over six blocks and have 180 (laughs) tents on the street and 22,000 some people would would hit that street every Saturday from eight to two. Um, And now 
we're still there. We yep. were not there for a little bit. We had to really scramble um, to reestablish the idea that farmers markets are essential. Governor yeah. Newsom yep. was very clear on that from the beginning, but as it trickled down to various counties and cities, they weren't so much. Yep. And that, that was partly our fault. When you run a farmer's market that's got 22,000 people on it um, on a Saturday, you look like an event. You don't look sure. like a grocery yeah. store. Yeah, so, sure, sure. So that was our city's reaction as they shut us down. Uh, and we reopened in a different format. We reopened with uh, two Two blocks instead of six. We've since then crept back up to we're at four. Mm-hmm. But on those four blocks, there's a lot of space in between the tents yep. so that we can allow for social distancing. We have to count people in and out uh, uh, yeah. block yep. so that there's not too many people on it at any one time. We have point and pack purchasing. So mm. you just point at what you want. The <laughs> farmer loads it up for you. There's no more squeezing the yeah. uh, melons or picking up the tomatoes to sniff them. Yep. Um, but it's been okay, actually. It's and, and we're strictly really farms and groceries. We've got a couple right. household non-food items now, our uh, charcoal toothpaste people and soap yeah. and things like that. But it's not, you don't have the crafters anymore. We can't right. do food. You can't eat or drink on site because you got to keep right. your mask on. So right. yep. there's no sampling. Uh, there's no, no prepared foods. Yeah, right no now. buying a yeah. crepe and eating it as you walk. Yeah. So, so it's definitely a different scene. The interesting thing has been that I think we're putting about 4,500, maybe 5,000 people last week, and it was pretty busy, through there, 50 people on a block at a time, just in and out um, over that six-hour period. Quite a few less, but still a fair amount of people. But interestingly enough, the farmers in particular have seen their sales stay stable and in some cases increase over Mm -hmm. last year because the people who aren't there are not so much the grocery shoppers. The people who aren't there are the folks taking really cool selfies and listening to the live music and- Eating the crepe and, and the chili lemonade and that kind of yeah. thing. But um, the people who really grocery shop are there. And as we all know, with restaurants being in the turmoil that they are, there's more people cooking at home. Yes. So there's more people out buying meat and farm fresh eggs and yeah. fruits and vegetables. And we've still got a lot of packaged grocery items. We've got yogurt there and we've got coffee beans and fresh baked bread and things. So it's it's actually been pretty successful for the farmers mm. and food makers. Yeah. Really um, just kind of a bloodbath for farmers market operators because we always use the prepared food and the crafters higher rents to subsidize really low rent for farmers. Right. And, and right. so we don't have those anymore. And we have about 45% less booths paying rent. Yep. But we have to have four times as much staff because we have to right. have somebody at each entry, exit, and block to monitor and count and advise yeah, people so, you know. fight with people about masks and <laughs> all those fun things. Yeah, I'm not an expert in market you know, operations, but from a, you know, a, a quick math over here says that the financials don't really add up. No. Yeah. No. Um, I, I think I said earlier when we were yeah. talking offline that, you know, who needed 80% of my income anyway? <laughs> <laughs> well, bless your heart. This, this is why you are, you know, gosh, so respected in the industry here. So I'm, you know, I, I am happy to hear that it's not all horrible news and that yep. your, you know, your farmers and your packaged food producers are still seeing sales and and almost more importantly that they're seeing sales from the the right people, that their sure. core audience is still is still there. It's still there and it's grown a little bit actually. It was mm. for me. Um you know the grocery stores were tough to get into and they didn't yep. feel very safe. And sure. So we've had people coming to the farmer's market because you are shopping open air, big wide aisles. Um, and we've seen people that had never been to farmer's markets before. And now that they've 
tasted those real strawberries and yeah. as such, uh, they're coming back. So I think yes. we're probably developing some new habits and shoppers in terms of people that weren't farmers market shoppers who will stay with us when you know, we wake up in the morning and the whole thing disappears because we've heard that's going to happen. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> that sounds like a scene out of your movie, right? Um, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I love this. I love this idea that, you know, you are, I don't want to say it's a new generation of farmers market shoppers, but this idea that in times of, you know, big, significant changes, it's, it's a time to capture a new audience or, sure. you know, and I think that there's, that is a nice way to look at it as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we joke around our office and in the farmer's market industry on the millions of Zoom calls that we're now <laughs> on uh, that, you know, we, we are always looking for silver linings and there's a yeah, few. There so, are a few. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Okay, so I've got a couple questions around farmer's markets. I can imagine what my listeners are, are thinking about right now. Um, so we, I'm going to make the assumption that you think farmer's markets are here to stay. Would you, can you confirm that for me? Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, It's just, it's so important to the financial sustainability of small farmers because they keep, you know, if you buy an avocado at the grocery store for a buck, uh, the farmer's putting about nine cents of that in his pocket. And when you buy that same avocado at the the farmer's market for a buck, the farmer's keeping a buck. So it was really critical to us to get the markets back open to keep farmers farming because that's important for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I'm sure we've got these listeners and they're like, well, you know, I I didn't, I didn't really think about farmer's markets beforehand. I wasn't quite sure that was right for my business model or like, oh, geez, like that always sounded like a lot of work. (laughs) A lot of work. (laughs) It's true. Can we, can you shed some light on what what makes a good vendor at a farmer's market and maybe starting with a, like what sort of product assortment or what sort of, what sort of business makes sense in the first place for a farmer's market? Well, for us, our emphasis has always been on first the small farmers, but then mm-hmm. on grocery products. And that's just part of my view of what farmer's market should be, that they should be grocery stores in the street. Yeah. And it's a, it's a way for uh small food makers to have that same experience that the farmer does where they keep the retail price. And especially when you're just starting out, that can be a good thing. I'm um, a person that's not known for always encouraging scale. I think there's such a thing as right-sizing your business. So there's, for, for some people, absolutely starting in a business where you're at three farmer's markets a week or even one when you're just starting out and maybe it's a side hustle thing. Um, For some people, that's a stepping stone to a bigger retail business. And we've definitely pointed people towards you and and Retail Ready who Mm -hmm. have been terrifically successful at taking a farmer's market business and then moving it into the retail shelf. But then we've got other vendors for whom a smaller business is right for their family and their lifestyle, and they stay in markets for decades. So Right now, I think farmers market managers are looking a lot for, you know, rice and grain mixes and mm. baking mixes and uh, anybody that can get their hands on flour anywhere is really welcome yeah. everywhere <laughs> and spices. So we've got some seasoning vendors that have come in new. We kind of thought new vendors would fall off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they did for, you know, maybe 60 days. We teach a class called Vendor 101 where we train people with an idea. We give them the opportunity to figure out whether 
they really want to undertake all the work that it is to be in farmer's markets or if they want to, you know, back away quietly and run away screaming either (laughs) way. You know, that's a valuable lesson too, right? Absolutely. We tell them they got their money's worth if we, in in one long day, if we can teach them that this isn't right for them. Yes. (laughs) Or or if it is right for them, we teach them how, you know, what permits they need and, and how to get started at farmer's markets. And we thought, okay, so that side of our business is going to go away. Nobody's going to start a new business in the midst of all this craziness and markets are smaller and, they don't have as much room for vendors. But in fact, some of our vendors have now resorted to their wholesale sales just because they don't want to be out in public. They've got a medically fragile person in their household or they're just fearful. Uh, And some of our vendors went out of business in that period where there weren't markets, sadly. And so we do have spaces available at markets. Most market managers do. And we are seeing new people come in. And, and I think my theory, after I've talked to, we've done three sessions now of Vendor 101 in, in COVID time, where they're Zoom now. <laughs> they used to be in a classroom. They're being mm-hmm. Zoom now. But it's been interesting in that people who were passionate about their recipe or their product that they would love to develop and bring to consumers or see on a shelf, uh, a lot of those folks held back because the day job was so much more secure. Yes. And they, they didn't have the yep. capacity for risk to actually go out on their own, start a business, put their recipe out there. There's, you know, rejection happens. Uh, and I think in this whole situation, one of our silver linings has been that some people had to come to the sad conclusion that, hey, maybe that day job's not so secure either. That those can disappear too. They're also a risk. So there's a little bit of a sense of maybe I've got a a little bit, tiny bit more control over my own destiny by being in business for myself. So we're seeing people taking that step out there now. So it's been interesting. We've seen um, a lot of new folks come through. I've seen the same, same exact thing with, with retail ready students that I was wondering about that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I so often I'm hearing a, a different message than I did a year ago or two years ago where people are saying like, now's my time, right? Like my, right. my, my day job that I thought was so secure, turns out that it's not so secure anymore. Right. <laughs> I'm, I might as well be in control of my own destiny. And I know that makes it sound dramatic, but I, I think that well, there is something so powerful in in these are kind of dramatic that. times. <laughs> you know, it's, I think it, we've all had some sort of dramatic mind shifts in the last few months. So. Yeah, yeah, that's been interesting. Yeah. I was wondering if that was happening with the retailers as oh, well. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so so I'm really happy to hear that you guys have space in your farmers markets because mm-hmm. I think historically it's really, really competitive to get into farmer's markets, right? It is. And it's still competitive. Uh, farmer's market managers are looking for good products. And I think there's, we always talk about the four P's. And I, okay. I think some of them apply to both farmer's markets and to wholesale shell selling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of them are, are really, well, one of them in particular is really specific to farmer's markets. So I think all food products, you teach the same thing. You're looking for the product, Yep. itself, the quality, but the packaging is almost equally as important. And then professionalism on your side, you know, it's how you deal with buyers and how yeah. you deal with suppliers and things. And on our side, it's, do you show up on time at the market? Are you considerate <laughs> of other vendors? And then the the one thing that you also have to have at farmer's markets and not just on buyer meeting day, but every single day is personality is our fourth P. Oh, because, I love that. Yep. Yeah. If yep. you're somebody that's kind of shy at parties and you just soon find a corner and, and read a book, 
you need your niece or nephew to come work your farmer's market <laughs> booth because you are face to face with the end consumer. And yeah. it's, it can even, it's funny because back in the day when you were sampling, we're not doing that yeah. right now, but you know, you'd say here, taste of, take a taste of this. And when you, when a consumer would kind of, you know, his mouth would go down at the edges and he'd say, ah, not for me. Mm-hmm. The vendors that are successful, they move on to the next person, but some of them really internalize that rejection. This is my recipe. This is my product. And he yes. doesn't like it. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, so that personality <laughs> and perseverance, we have so many P's, um, is, is kind of unique to farmer's markets. Obviously, it applies in retail as well but in terms of getting onto the shelf, making yeah. those connections with buyers and things. But here, I mean, you're, you're look, talking to hundreds of people every day where you've just got to you've got to take it. You've got to hear what they think about your product. And that does make it, whether you're planning to stay in markets for decades or whether you're going to test out your product for a year or two at markets with the idea that you want to scale at some point, mm-hmm. the markets are the most natural yeah. focus group possible <laughs> because you are talking constantly to people that are actually eating your product and they're face to face with you and they develop relationships with you and they're not real shy about telling you what they think. (laughs) Absolutely. But I love that. I love your disclaimer that you can't take it to heart, right? Because absolutely taste is subjective. And so just because someone doesn't like your artisanal ketchup does not mean that your grandma's recipe didn't hold weight, right? Right. Everybody's got a different, there's so many millions of people. You've just got to find your village that really loves your stuff yeah. and, and, and try not to take it personally. One of, the things, one of the things that I see happen pretty often is that vendors will have success, massive success in farmer's markets, and then they get to the retail shelf and the success is not replicated. And they just can't figure out why they had <laughs> success, <laughs> you know, standing in front of a captivated audience selling their product over the table, but they don't on the retail shelf. Do you have that experience as well where vendors just, you know, figure out one channel, but can't quite get a grip on the other? We do. And, you know, that's why we've pointed people your way sometimes too, is because it's really a different process. So personality actually can overcome product and packaging to an Mm -hmm. extent. If you develop a relationship with customers, we have customers that'll go back and buy from a specific farmer or food maker just because they really like them. And even if they have to pay a little bit higher price or the product, you know, maybe the guy down the block is, is actually something they like a little bit better, but personality overcomes it all. If they, they like the person that's selling that yogurt, they're going to buy from them instead of the the smart Alec guy down the block that's, (laughs) you know, selling, selling to his tribe, his people that like his, what he does. So uh, it's really different. The whole financial model for it is really different as you know. And that's why we kind of point people towards your program because people that are used to selling in farmer's markets that then have to translate that to wholesale sales. It's a really different way that you have to set up your costing and you have to look at your ingredients and the (laughs) scaling your production. So yeah, it's, it's, it's two different worlds. And I don't think necessarily that one is easier than the other. No. I just think they're yeah. really different. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. And I think that it it goes back. I mean, we can say it goes back to your four Ps, right? Like which channel do you have the personality for? You know, exactly. Certainly, you know, certainly you do need to have a personality to get in front of wholesale buyers and convince them that your product's right for their shelves. But it, it's a whole different skill set to sell direct to consumer over a table. 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, honestly, you've got to have a little bit different physical um, approach because mm. there's you're building your store at every market. You know, you're yeah. hauling in tents and you're hauling in boxes. And so you've got to have some stamina that way to really be a good market vendor. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, gosh. Okay, Kat, I'm going to have us pause here for a quick second and we will be right back. Hang tight. If you've been enjoying these episodes, imagine what it would be like to ask clarifying questions directly to me and to have my assistants working through your strategy on these topics. Well, you can. My Retail Ready students have access to me live in our private online group and on our monthly coaching calls. And I would love to see you in there as well. Retail Ready enrollment opens again soon. So jump on the wait list in today's show notes or at foodbizwiz.com and save your spot. Okay, we are back. And so Kat, I love that our conversation, you know, naturally talked about what vendors can, what vendors are, you know, desirable at the market right now, the future of farmers markets, some things that people should think about as they're debating markets versus wholesale. But can we take a uh, a deeper turn? Can we take a political turn? Sure. You know okay. me. I'm always ready for that. My staff is not in the office. Otherwise, they'd be going, they'd be waving at me. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, no, no, cat, no. I don't care. It's all yeah. good. Well, I, you know, and I, when you and I were brainstorming topics here, I I loved that you brought up the topic of politics and racial equality and and thinking about that in the food industry because it is you know naturally it's something we've been thinking about about a lot in 2020 and i i know in, in california we're we're pretty progressive and we're thinking about it in the food industry but i i so appreciate your willingness to talk about it so i bet you've been having these conversations with your vendors and i want to know should vendors should brands whether you're a farmer or a packaged food producer or you know you're on the grocery store shelf should these founders talk about the topics of the day well at my stage of life uh, <laughs> i'm absolutely talking about the topics of the day and my team and i had some big discussions on this uh, before we addressed it with different market associations and with our vendors and, mm -hmm. and customers and such. And it was interesting to me that they are somewhat younger than me and they absolutely said, yes, we're going to, you know, we're going to take a Black Lives Matter sign to the info booth and we're going to, um, we're definitely going to talk about it in our newsletter and things. And I felt the same way because I'm in a good position where I'm probably not at risk of being fired if I right. say the wrong thing politically. You know, I know when you're an employee, it's a little bit different. Um, and I felt strongly as well, but what I realized that they didn't is that you are taking a risk as a business yeah. when you take a political stand. Yep. And for them, you know, they're getting a paycheck for, for somebody at a farmer's market or somebody that you're working with that's a, a producer, you're taking a risk. Yeah. You know, you're, you have the chance that you're going to have clients that don't agree with you. And a lot of these topics are really emotional, especially right now. Yep. Uh, they're, they're very inborn. There are things that people, there are attitudes that people develop as they grow up. They get it generational, get it from generations of parents and grandparents that have given them certain ideas and they take it very personally yep. and affronted sometimes. Um, so you are taking a risk in business to put your politics there. But I think case of racial equality for me, 
the fact is it's not political and it's it's sad that it's been made political that it seems to be dividing along political lines political mm-hmm. lines but it shouldn't be political it's rights that's a political issue that's a humanity issue and I don't think it's something that any of us can afford to ignore. We've ignored it way too long. Uh, we made a, a shot at it back during, you know, civil rights days when I was a kid. And <laughs> the idea that we're marching for the same things now is, is ridiculous. Yeah. It's, we, we need to, we need to be here. And I will tell you, it's, I think it's another one of those silver lining things. I think what kept a lot of people from getting involved in that, saying what they thought, getting is that we're afraid of our boat and we're afraid of um, possibly somebody scrutinizing we think as part of how they react to us. And the interesting thing about COVID is number one, we've time hands. So we've got <laughs> more time to keep up on the issues and get out to protests and do what we're going to do yep. and read up. Um, and the other thing is, again, it's it's made such a shit and so much seems unsure people feel like they don't have quite as much to lose in terms of comfort and it's okay yeah. for them to say what they think and to take an active role in changing things. So in that way, I think it's been really good and, and really healthy. We've made the choice to not stay in our lane, not keep our heads down, but to be yep. really visible about all of this. And we've, uh, we're okay with our vendors being quiet. Um, I will say that gets into another kind of interesting thing. Yeah. And- you want to talk about it? I do. I can't. Yeah. It's okay. been a dis- discussion um, on the national level with farmers markets in particular, and I'm sure it's happening in other places too, but there have been some farmers markets in the Midwest in particular that have had people who are on the other side of the political and human rights spectrum um, for me that have been really vocal. Mm. And so it gets mm. at markets um, in yeah. a, a a not very nice way. And so there's a whole interesting dialogue going on right now in markets and for people that put signs in the window of their retail stores and in their restaurants uh, about, do you protect the right to free speech, no matter how ugly that speech is? Right. Um, Do you, can you stay open to both sides of a story? If one side is oppression of a whole group of people um, is, yeah, that's gosh, not really an e- that's not an equal kind of conversation. It's really it's complicated stuff. Yeah, and I, I can imagine that the role is complicated as a market manager, right? Like, let's say, let's say you are a market manager, and someone, a vendor, has a booth, and they want to hang their "All Lives Matters" poster mm-hmm. at the front of their booth. Um, I'm thinking through, like, what is your responsibility to say that's yeah, not. So- appropriate, right? So it's so it's tricky. And there was just a conflict in a, a different part of, uh, still in California, but a different yep. state about somebody because uh, they had stuff in their booth about pride, mm. um, which we've always kind of promoted all of our, we've always done, you know, eat the rainbow and yep. um, farmers for fruits and all kinds of fun things. But there was a manager that had a bad reaction to it. Yep. Um, I could talk for a while about what the the subtleties of that were, but yep. they. But the fact is, it is one of those situations where if you allow somebody to promote one message, um, do you then have to allow everybody to promote their pet messages? And is your responsibility as a market manager or a restaurateur or a retailer to stay neutral so that 
all the focus remains on the farmers and the food makers and the grocery shopping that should be going on at the market to benefit everybody who's at the market. Right. So it's very, it's, there's, this is the opposite of a simple issue. uh, And there's so many different things to look at. And at this point, for me personally, I've just taken the stance that the human rights issues just are non-negotiable. And for sure, we're just going to, go with it. And yeah, the consequences be darned. But um, I also will say that I have sympathy for other managers that have had a hard time navigating this and that haven't figured out where their priorities should land and are they doing the best for their farmers and vendors. And it's a rough, rough time. Yeah. I think I can, I can see why managers would, would struggle with it, but you know, I, I, I guess it's easier for me to have an opinion because I'm not a market manager, but I even think about it within our retail ready student group. You know, if I had a, if I had a brand in there who came in and, you know, was spreading the all lives matters, we would politely, we would, we would revoke their membership because it's not creating an inclusive space for all of our members. Right. Right. Um, and at that, you know, gosh, I feel like, you know, our episode is taking a turn here, but I do think that there is, um, as a business owner, it's our responsibility to provide a safe space for all of our community. And when someone within the community is acting in a way that makes others feel less than or makes others feel unsafe, then we as business owners have the right to refuse to do business with them. Right. And, and we're, we're there. Yeah. So that's where we are. And I understand the challenges of it. Um, But yeah, I I just don't think there's any choice. This just can't, this can't go on the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. A lot. I mean, a lot to think about there too. You know, I, 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 curious if you've had vendors say like, well, we want to, we do want to say something. We do support these topics, but we don't know what to say to our audience. We're afraid of saying the wrong thing. And so then in a way they, you know, they stay silent or they don't take action because they're, they're afraid to mess up. Have you seen that too? And I think, I mean, isn't that where we all are? So it's, uh, you know, it's really right now time to center places and to be learning and listen. And at the same time, you know, our signs say silence, silence. And it is, if you're not, if you're not saying anything, you're implying you with the way things are. And so I I think it is important to say thing. We have had vendors that have had signs in their booth, uh, lives matter or various other things. What's funny, our big market is in San Diego and we're two blocks from the building, which is a a big building with a great big lawn and park attached to it on the mm-hmm. waterfront. And so that is, and it's, it radiates out into different parts of this. And that has been a natural gathering point for us. That's where a lot of products start or end. Uh, and then people march from there or to there. And so we've got a lot of protesters that are coming through the market. We have been very lucky at San Diego. It's been relatively bad. <laughs> We've had some agitators, uh, some counter protesters that have shown up. Mm. And so far, we've to keep that under control and calm. We actually get, we probably get more of that masks actually than we do about the the racial stuff right now. Um, But I know that some areas of the country have had much worse problems with, you know, outright violence on the edge of it's with um, between protesters and counter protesters. It's a fright, very 
interesting thing. This is market managers sign up for a lot of it's the biggest multitasked job in the world. I feel like we've <laughs> talked about getting matching tips to say our job is weird, but I will say that most of us didn't sign up for this, you know, right. and, yeah. it, and of course yeah. the world didn't either, but right. Right. But little did the you level know of, that you would be doing. Yeah. That whole hostility. And, you know, I've had anti-mask guys actually shove me and I'm a short old white woman. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and I, it's been physical and stuff at the markets. It's really been, been crazy. So. Wow. Uh, I can't, yeah. I bet you did. I bet you never imagined that, right. Especially living no. through the civil rights movement and, you know, seeing the unfortunate reality that not the, the, the progress wasn't were, made in the way that we had hoped, but um, gosh, imagine that coming back around and you dealing yeah. with that again in your career. Wow. It's crazy. So gosh, Yes. So life is interesting. We call these the interesting days, right? What what are you seeing on the retail side? Do you have retail? I know mask issues on the retail side. Definitely Uh, mask issues on the retail side. And one of the things that I am concerned with on the retail side is the, uh, the treatment and the burnout of retail employees, mm -hmm. because I think that we are just seeing, you know, gosh, we are at, at the beginning of COVID, you know, March into April, we were thanking these workers and praising their efforts and really, you know, seeing them as essential workers. And we were so thankful for the things that they were doing. And now here we are, you know, months and months and months later, five months, six months later. And it's like, they just can't get a break. They're working in these environments that are so you know, taxing and mentally draining and, you know, of course, like physically dangerous. And I, and I'm really fearful for um, the burnout that we're causing to our retail employees. Well, and there's a lot, and that's actually one of the sort of hidden um, results, you know, the not so obvious results of all this is it's becoming really hard to hire. Yeah. So, so finding employees is really tough right now because they're either justifiably afraid contracting a disease uh, or they're having to put up with just a lot of angst from people that are fearful themselves and that are tired and that are, what's that song that's on right now on the, the memes, you know, the, the pandemic isn't over because you're over it. (laughs) Everybody's rich. Uh, They're, they're still scared. They're still tired. They're, they're not comfortable, but they get out as unfortunately our society is want to do sometimes on the the person directly in front of them, who not yes. the person who's done anything, but the person who's just happens to be face to face with them. And these are not typically highly paid people. And they didn't, these aren't careers, you know, as a grocery clerk or as yeah. a, a farmer's market assistant, where you thought you were going to be in danger or dealing with hostility. Farmer's yes. markets are usually really, really happy places, no matter what <laughs> else is going on. It, it might be hot, and the work's hard, and you're yeah. lifting and hauling out a lot of stuff, but everybody's so happy. That's one yes. of the attractive things about a, working at a farmer's market. And right now there's some people that aren't so happy. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely, and it's tough to hold staff right now. Right. And so one of the things that I've, I've been thinking about a lot is how do retailers continue to support their staff? How do they put systems in place where their staff are safe and well taken care of and, you know, have days off and, you know, have the flexibility to, to, you know, take action or not take action in regards to their health. And it's just, 
I, I fear, I fear for the, for grocery stores and, and the labor problems that are going to come with it. So. Yeah. It's all really complicated. It's, it's almost, I mean, the only, this is a situation I think when we should have a national response, there should be, oh, yeah. <laughs> there should be combat pay for grocery checkers as well as for nurses and for teachers that are having to figure out all new systems. And unfortunately that's not where most of our support is going financially at the federal level, but yeah. it's uh you know, there, there's a, because individual business owners aren't really in a position to have to raise salaries dramatically, even no. though those workers should be being paid more for having to deal with this and having to take the risk that they're taking. No, so I mean, I think really about, very- yeah, I think about our financial, our profit margins when I was in yeah. the grocery buying role and they were so slim. And of exactly. course, you know, people, people, shoppers, friends of mine who weren't in the grocery industry are like, you know, oh, buy rate's so expensive. Oh gosh. They're like really jacking up the prices. And, you know, Mm. I sometimes wanted to, you know, have a heart to heart and be like, Hey, you actually, if you actually want to look at the, the P and L here, like the, the, the profit margins are so slim, you know, yes, it is, um, expensive, but it's not overpriced. And there's a big difference there. And at the end of the day, the challenge is that these retailers don't have the budgets to put, um, like you said, to, to raise salaries or to double the staff or to give people right. more paid time off or, or whatever it is. So I think you're right, Kat, we've got, um, you know, I, I, I know my listeners know this, but you know, we've got this, this national crisis on our hands and a lack of leadership to help us get through it. Yeah. Yep. Whew. Gosh. So <laughs> we'll see how so, my uh, subscriber count goes right? after this episode. You know, right. Kat, it's, so exactly. in- it's so interesting. I, um, I sent out a series of emails in June around Black Lives Matters. And I'm, I'm sure that you guys had got the same response, but I got so many unsubscribes and so many like really aggressive like swear filled emails. And, you know, gosh, that, that was just a wake up call to me. Like how naive am I to think that that wasn't happening in my, in my little mailing list, but um, it was really eye opening. Really. That's probably been the heartening thing about this is hearing that kind of thing that people that before may have just been quiet and it just wasn't affecting them that much. And they weren't saying anything. We're discovering things about, what people think that's not always good. And yeah. we had a whole talk about when we started in our newsletters and on our podcast. And I know um, uh, one of our other conference speakers, Charlotte Smith, she mm, hesitated she's for great. a while. And oh, then she she's so great. Yeah. Up in her, yeah. She put it up in her private group. She has this huge private group for farmers yes, and yeah, yep. uh, some crazy feedback to that and people quitting the group or quitting her list or what have you. But you know what we, talked about and decided and still think is that, you know, if somebody is that unhappy about people being equal, then they're not our ideal customer. And that's not who we want to play with. So that just has to be what it is. Exactly. I mean, that's how I felt with my email list too. I was, you know, in a way it's, um, I'm delighted to have them go away because I wouldn't have wanted them in retail ready anyways. Right. Gosh. But it is, you know, it gets back to that, you know, you've got to be able to, you do need to understand that you are taking a risk with certain parts of your business in terms yeah. of your number of followers and things. If you're going to come out and be honest and be proactive, 
And yeah. I think, I think yeah. you should. And I think too, with the brands, you know, we've, we saw this in retail ready and I'll, I'll say, I saw it with, with my own online community that when I took a stand, when my retail ready brands take a stand, BIPOC followers and subscribers came out of the woodwork and said, you know, thank you for showing us where you stand. Thank you for putting a stake in the ground. Thank you for telling me that I am welcome in your community. And, you know, it really, it was a wake up call to me to say like, to realize like, oh my gosh, my, I wasn't taking a stand here and I wasn't being clear enough. And without, like you said, silence is violence, right? Without saying anything, what sort of message was I sending to those people who are such valuable parts of, of retail ready and such, you know, obviously such valuable players in the food industry. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're agreed. We're on the the same page with that. We've been taking, we've been doing a lot of proactive things. We've always had a bent towards, you know, if we get two applicants and um, one of them is a producer of color, we've tried to do our own, you know, affirmative action sort of level and diversity inclusion work Mm -hmm. to make sure that we get those folks in. And we've ramped that up a little bit. It was one of those things that we did, but we never talked about. Yeah. And now we're talking about it more. And as you say, we're getting the same kind of reaction. Oh, I didn't know you did that. I didn't know that you would nurture us along a little bit more because we haven't had that background. So um, that's been really great. We actually, interestingly enough, on the the bright side of all, we have a, um, a vendor Mm-hmm. who is a black owned business and she's never made a big deal about being a black owned business. Sure. And uh, she ended up getting put on a list that I think Carrie Washington tweeted or something. And she's a, she sells vegan cookies, but she's um, it's, she's a black owned business. She's yeah. a black woman. And she, uh, her, she just blew up. She called me at six o'clock one morning <laughs> and said, you know how I usually get, she goes, I've been doing okay with the online things since the markets have been closed and stuff. But she goes, I usually, I had worked my way up to where we were getting 200 orders a day. It was a big deal, but she's mm. really organized and she had expanded and she'd found extra staff. She said, and I got up this morning and there's 2,100 orders on my website. Oh, good <laughs> and for it, her. And it just wow. kept going. So yes. yeah, it was uh, good problems, but it was you yeah. know obviously exhausting for her to rally. Yeah, of but course. She's, she's kept a lot of it going, and it's been terrific. So the I think it's been cool to see some of these businesses get that little boost. Yeah, um, it's their time, but, right? It's like yeah, for sure, it's, it's about time. Gosh, thank you for sharing that story. I, I like I like ending on a a warm yeah, note, on a little bit higher. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so exactly. yeah, but uh, speaking of resources, because I know that you provide so many through farmers markets pro farmers market pros. Um, can you can we end here? Like, where can people find out about you? Where can people keep in touch? Like, where can they find all these wonderful resources that that we talked about early on in the episode today? Well, our incredible Justine, who's one of our team members here, has actually, since she's had a little extra time, <laughs> she's uh, dug into web design. We, we just launched a, a new and more beautiful website. Um, and so if you go to farmersmarketpros.com, you find information there about the conference and about, uh, we've got a lot of resource lists on there. There's information there on our Vendor 101 class for startups and on other classes that we do for people at different stages. There's information there about me speaking and consulting. It's just, it's all right there. Great. One spot. Yeah. Great. Far- okay. I'm going to- Farmersmarketpros.com. Okay. Yeah, and then Farmers Market Pros on um, Instagram. We're pretty busy yep. on Instagram and uh, over on Facebook. Facebook, I think oddly, it says intense, the Farmers Market Pros. Oh, yeah. <laughs> be confused. Our old name. That it's hard would, to change it. It is. It is. I've, I've been there too. So Kat, I will link 
all of that in the show notes. And I will link our intense podcast episode that we did together as well, way back when. And, you know, as I, as I said in the intro, I'm just so in awe of the work that you do in our, in our food industry. And I'm so grateful for the resources that you've developed and shared. And I'm, I'm really happy that you were able to join me today. So thank, thank you for you. coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And we'll have you back. Of course. <laughs> and as always, thank you, my whizzes. I, hoped, I hope that you enjoyed my episode with Kat just as much as I enjoyed having her on the show. She is, as, as I said, such a wealth of information and so generous in sharing resources for our food community. So from here... You guys know the drill. Come and join me in the Food Biz Whiz Facebook group, where I'm going to continue the conversation around this episode. Find my Facebook group linked in today's show notes or at foodbizwiz.com. So thank you for listening, and I will see you right back here next week. Until then, have a good one and stay busy. Thank you for listening to Food Biz Whiz, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you never miss a beat. Hungry for more? Check out www.foodbizwiz.com. That's food, B-I-Z-W-I-Z.com for detailed show notes from all episodes. Thanks again for tuning in and stay busy.